Church family, I am glad to be with you today, although I know that this week and last week have been very difficult for many within our church family, in the broader Phoenix community, and our nation. The killings of Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, and George Floyd have reawakened us to the fractures that exist within our community, within our nation, and within our church family. And so today what I intend to do is to help us as a church family find a way forward. And I wanted to pause just before we get into it and say there are many, especially for those of you that are part of the Desert Springs Church family that are part of minority culture, I know that you mourn in a unique way. I know that there's anger and frustration. I know that there is a great deal of sadness as well. Just as your pastor, I want you to know that while I don't know exactly how you feel, I know that you mourn. I know that you're angry. I know that you're sad. And I'm with you. Your church family is with you. And as a people, we want to weep with those who weep. And when there is righteous anger, we also want to be a people who are righteously angry. And so we are with you and know that we're behind you. There are many of us, especially in majority culture in our church family, who are asking the question, what can we do or what should we do? And as we think together today through uh, some scriptures that I believe that the Spirit is calling us as a church to engage with, I believe that we'll find a way forward, but I wanted to just caution you in this. The way forward for our church family is not an easy road. It will be difficult. And more than that, it will likely take our lifetimes. And so I want to invite you in to join me as we pursue the way of the reconciled together. And to begin, I'm going to read an extended portion of Scripture. It's written by a person named Paul. If you've been joining with us the last few weeks, you've heard of Paul. He, he wrote the letter to the Romans uh, and also other letters that we have explored together. And today uh, we pick it up in a letter that he wrote uh, to the Colossians. And so let's read the text together. This is Colossians 3, verses 1 through 17. So if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things above where Christ is seated, at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Therefore, put to death that which belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, God's wrath is coming upon the disobedient. And you once walked in these things when you were living in them. But now, put away all of the following. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and filthy language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. You are being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your creator. In Christ, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcision or uncircumcision, barbarian, 
Scythian, slave, and free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a grievance against another. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you are also to forgive. Above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. And let the peace of Christ, to which you were also called in one body, rule in your hearts and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the word of the Lord. As we read that text and as we think about how that might apply to us today, as we think about the way forward, the way of the reconciled, I want to encourage you with four key things. And then I'd like to share with you a little bit about the future, uh, the, the coming weeks for our church family. and something that I believe that the Spirit of God is calling us to. Uh, but first, the four things in the text. Uh, number one, as we think about ethnic diversity, we see in this text and we see throughout Scripture that ethnic diversity is God's very good idea. In the very first opening chapters of the Bible, we see that God created people, all people, in his image. Every person has inherent dignity, worth, and value because every person is made in the image of God. Now, this includes the people or the cultures or the nations that you cannot stand. It includes the people that you hate. In the text, we find that every person is an image bearer of God. And God intended for his image bearers to be ethnically diverse. It is God's very good idea that we are a diverse group of image bearers of him. I would warn you, or at least caution you, to avoid saying the phrase, I am colorblind, or I don't see color. Now, of course, if you are technically colorblind, I think, I think that probably is fair to say. But there are many of us who want to say things like, I don't see color. But that's not what God wants from us. What God desires of us is to see the cultural difference and to see his beauty in them. Not to act like we're all the same, because that is not his idea. The second thing to notice in the text and to recognize how the text applies to today, ethnic differences right now and for many have been weaponized, leveraged, and exploited by people in power in order to accumulate more power, in order to maintain power. Uh, just a brief survey of human history some examples of ethnic-based hatred for the purposes of maintaining power for those who operate in the kingdoms of this world. You see Chinese versus Japanese, 
German versus Polish, British versus French, Slavic and Romani, Hutu and Tutsi, Aymaran and Mezistos. And in America, where we live, there is a divide, a rupture, a fracture between black and white that is, at least from what I can tell, unique to our nation's history. And it's something that we have to pay attention to. As a church family, it's something that we have been talking about for years, and yet in this moment, we need to continue to learn and continue to move into this space. In the United States, we have a deep history with racism. In fact, it has been a part of our nation since before we were even politically a nation. 401 years ago, race-based slavery, slavery was instituted as an economic machine. And people of color, specifically in our nation's history for the 401 years, those who are of black skin, were categorized by people in power, namely white people, as subhuman. As you think about even just what racism is, Ef Pastor Efren Smith wrote a piece and he says this, racism is one of those evil forces that invades the image of God upon non-white people in our world. Racism is prejudice plus power utilized in systems, structures, institutions, ideologies, and theologies to oppress people groups based on the color of their skin. It is insidious in its many forms and shapes. As we think about our own history, as a nation, we have not repented and reconciled for the great evils of manifest destiny, the Chinese Exclusion Act, and all of the corollary race-based oppression. And we have not repented and reconciled for race-based slavery, Jim Crow, segregation, and on. And yet for many of us, for those of us in majority culture, it is easy for us to ignore this, for us to sweep this under the rug. It is a privilege to be able to not choose to care about this type of systemic oppression and injustice. And yet it has invaded the church. At Pentecost, in the book of Acts, we read that the first large gatherings of Christians was multi-ethnic in its design. We see, furthermore, in the book of Acts and in later letters, uh, people like Paul who wrote this letter to the Colossians, we see that the church was multi-ethnic. The earliest churches were groups of 30, 40, 50 people meeting in homes, and it was a diverse multi-ethnic group. How does that square with the church in America today? Even the church has much to answer for. For starters, according to an Oxford survey, approximately 5% of American churches could be considered multi-ethnic, 5%. And Brian Loritz, who's done much study and writing on the matter, who serves as a pastor in California, puts that number actually at about 2.5% of American churches that could be considered culturally diverse or multi-ethnic. And we have a long history, the American church, a long history in which we might find, especially for church families that were predominantly majority culture, were complicit in the great evils 
that were visited upon people of color in our nation. In the 1920s, 40,000 ministers, Christian ministers, were members, active members of the Ku Klux Klan. In fact, the Grand Dragons of Pennsylvania, Texas, North Dakota, and Colorado were pastors. Orlando Peterson, a Jamaican-born sociologist who uh, works at, uh, studied at and works at Harvard, quotes Wynne Wade when he says this, the Klan's cross burnings of the 1920s were invariably constrained by a strict Christian ritual. The ceremony opened with a prayer. The multitude sang onward Christian soldiers. After the hymn, the cross was lit up and an explosion of kerosene and the rush of flames over the timbers were thrilling. Bathed in warmth, left arm outstretched towards the blazing icon and voices raised in the hymn, the old rugged cross. The Klansmen felt as one body. And one of the greatest ironies is that many who were lynched would have been praying to the same God that those Klansmen sang to. The American church has a history of being complicit in racially-based oppression for centuries. And there has not been a repentance and reconciliation to the degree that is needed. And we see that right now. Jesus calls us, though, to the ministry of reconciliation. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it says this. This is chapter 5, verse 17 through 20. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. Everything is from God, who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us, listen here, has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And you see in this text that just as, for those of us that are Jesus followers, we, through the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross, have been reconciled to God. Reconciliation means to restore to favor, or to put it another way, to restore to favor with all accounts settled. There's nothing due. Reconciliation is when we are in disfavor with one another. Perhaps I have wronged you or you have wronged me. Reconciliation is the process of righting those wrongs, seeking forgiveness, giving forgiveness, building trust, and finding favor with one another. This requires repentance, grace, love, and the power of the Spirit of God in us, which is why we are called ambassadors and messengers with a ministry of reconciliation. I want you to think just for a moment. In the Lord's Prayer, one of the things he said is this, forgive us our debts, a vertical transaction, if you will, as we forgive our debtors, a horizontal 
transaction. To put it another way, I believe that what Jesus teaches us is this, and you see it throughout the Newer Testament, that how we treat others speaks to how we love God. For those of us that believe ourselves to be reconciled with God, he calls us to continue that ministry of reconciliation to his image bearers. This includes people that are strange to us, people that are mean to us, people that are our enemies. We have a ministry of reconciliation. Now, if we as a people are going to walk the way of the reconciled, then we need some tools. So I'd like just to think together for a moment. Before, though, we think about those tools, I, I must say, Reconciliation, especially as it relates to racism in our nation, will not come quickly. It is not easy, and it is not something that is done simply by us. But we participate in this together. And it would be arrogant of us to think that we could flick a switch, that we could say a couple magic words, and that everything would be fixed. Human interaction does not work that way. When we wrong one another, the ministry or the way of reconciliation is a long, difficult road that sometimes takes years, decades, and as a community, possibly lifetimes and generations. The other thing I, I think we need to recognize is this, that the demonic systems and force of racism that exists in our nation, that's in the very bones and framework of our people, was not done away with by legislation. It has simply shape-shifted. In fact, for many of us, we're frustrated with this conversation around racism because what we think racism is is what we see in the movies. We think, for many of us, that racism is simply slavery, lynching, segregated schools, and things of the like. And when we watch those movies and we look at the present day and we say that doesn't exist in the same way at least, like I saw in the movies, therefore racism is not a problem anymore. And friends, I say this as pastorally as possible. It would be arrogant of us to assume such things. If there has not been repentance, a turning from an old way to a Jesus way, a turning from a self-centered way to a Jesus way, if there has not been repentance and there has not been real Jesus-centered reconciliation, then we are not done yet. Desert Springs, we have, I believe, a call. I believe that Jesus has a mission for us, and it's something we've been talking about for many years. And I'm so proud of the ways that many of you have stepped up to fight against racism to stand for social justice, to stand up on behalf of those who are being oppressed and are experiencing marginalization. But in this season, I believe that Jesus is calling us to pursue repentance and reconciliation. So let's just talk through what that looks like. A few key things from the text as we think about tools of reconciliation, and then I'd like to share with you a way forward for us. Number one, you see in uh, the text in Colossians 3 that he says this in 
Verse 12 through 14, so uh, here, give this a listen. Verse 12 through 14. Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a grievance against another, just as the Lord has forgiven you. Again, there is that vertical and horizontal applied. Above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Above all, put on love. So let's just think through some of these things. Number one, love. You'll notice that the author here, Paul, says that it is the perfect bond of unity. If you think about how different voices, though different, can in a song harmonize when they're in union with one another, Two, so can our lives, though different, though our cultural differences, our racial differences, ethnic differences, though we are different, when we are unified in Christ and in Christ's love, valuing the other as Christ values us, we can find that there is harmony. When we don't fear one another's differences, when we don't leverage one another's differences to exert or maintain power, but rather when we value the other, when we value the image of God, even in the midst of diversity, in the other, then we can find harmony and unity. I would just encourage you as you think about how to apply this to your own life, as you look at cultures that are strange to you or frustrating to you, that may be the spirit nudging you to pause and to say, how am I seeing the image of God in this culture? or in this thing that feels strange to me? Where is the image of God in the ways that that person is different than me? Because to truly love is to value the other person, to see the other person, to hear the other person truly. The second thing that we find is bearing with one another. Uh, in another uh, letter that the Apostle Paul writes, he says that we are to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. One of the ways that we love one another as we love ourselves is that we bear with one another and we bear one another's burdens. And here's what, an easy way, well, it's not easy. I think it's easy to understand, really hard to do. One of the ways that we can bear with one another is this. We can recognize that as we engage, as we see the other, as we hear from the other, as we commune with the other, with those that are different than us, we should expect to feel, at least sometimes, frustration, confusion, sadness, even anger, and disappointment. Because those are natural byproducts of having our own prejudices confronted. That is oftentimes how it feels for us to be changed and reformed and transformed more and more into the image of Christ in fact, at least in my life, when the spirit is moving in a transformative way, some of the, the, the quickest feelings I feel are discomfort, frustration, sadness, confusion, anger, and more. And so normalize that in your life as part of the growth process. It is a way that we can bear with one another. Third, patience. The author says patience. Even when we don't understand, we need to continue to listen. Even when we don't get it and we find things to be strange, we need to see. 
I would encourage you in this, in your uh, relationships with people that you love, I, I believe that you know this to be true. It, it's like this with my wife and I. There would be an occasion where uh, my wife, uh, I'll, I'll sense that something's not right and uh, we'll talk about it. And she might say, hey, here's a problem, right? Here's a problem in our marriage, in our love relationship with one another. Now, what do I do if I don't understand the problem? Or what do I do if I don't see the problem? If I don't understand the problem or if I don't see the problem, my natural tendency is to assume that there's not a problem and to roll my eyes at her or to huff and puff and go, you're blowing things out of proportion. What you're saying isn't real. Simply because I can't see the problem, simply because I don't understand the problem, my temptation is to assume there's not a problem. But you and I both know that that's not how it works. Because I love her, because we are in relationship with one another, loving relationship with one another, because we're family, even if I can't see the problem, even if I don't understand the problem, if she says there's a problem, there is a problem. And my role is to be patient, to see her, and to hear and to listen. When we think about brothers and sisters, our family, that are different than us. Even if we can't see the problem, even if we don't understand the problem, if they say there's a problem, there's a problem. And a loving relationship means that I am going to be patient in listening until not only I can understand, and I would give you this as a practical way to think about, well, how long do I have to be patient? When do I know I've arrived? Well, here's maybe a tool to use. Number one, I don't know that we ever fully arrive, but one of the ways that you know that you're moving forward is this. If you can articulate the problem and the nature of things in a way that they wholeheartedly agree with, even if you don't understand or agree, then you might start, you might have started to come to grips with it. And so we need to be patient in seeing one another and hearing from one another. For those of us that are in majority culture, I firmly believe this means that we need to be a people who are patient in listening and seeking first, as Stephen Covey says, seeking first to understand and then to be understood. Fourth, compassion. We are called by the text, we are called by the Lord to show compassion to one another. Here's one of the ways that I believe that that works itself out in this moment. We are called to weep with those who weep. And there are people in our lives and in our community who are weeping and lamenting. And it is good for us not to try to solve the problem. It is good for us not to just randomly post stuff on Facebook and social media. It is good for us also to lament, to say this is wrong, this is unjust. As we think about the recent uh, uh, killings, that we mentioned just a moment ago of George, Brianna, and Ahmad. We don't necessarily need to step in and try to fix everything. In fact, I think that does more harm than good oftentimes. But rather, we are called as a people, as a family, and as a church community to weep with those who weep and to lament. It's an act of compassion. Fifth, humility. Whoa, boy. This one's probably the hardest one for me. Humility. We are called to posture ourselves as Jesus postures himself 
giving up our power and our privilege and our preferences for the sake of the other. Humility. To intentionally bring ourselves low and have a low estimation of ourselves, and have a low estimation of what we think, have a low estimation of our preferences, and instead look to the needs of the other. You will find this throughout Scripture. You see it most vividly in Jesus. And we are called to follow the way of Jesus, the way of the reconciled. I know that for me, at least, humble listening is not my strong suit. For those of you who, that, who know me well, you're amening quite loudly at the screen right now. I can almost hear you. But humble listening is what we need. And let me tell you, friends, I know this firsthand. It will radically transform your life and it will increase your joy. To posture ourselves as humble listeners and learners is not only the Jesus way, it's a way that leads to joy, deeper fellowship and community, and a deeper level of an understanding of how the image of God is being made known to us through others. There was a a moment years ago I was with someone, uh, she's a a black woman in her 80s, she's a minister here in Phoenix, and uh, over the years we've gotten to know each other quite well, I I love her very much. We don't share almost anything in common, except uh, our gap teeth, which we both noticed just a few uh, months ago, I think. But we were sitting in the room a few years ago, and in this room uh, was a bunch of ministers and pastors, and we we were having a conversation, and one of the things that I said kind of jokingly, and we, I think we were lamenting how difficult it was in the season uh, to be a ministry leader. And one of the things that I said just kind of jokingly was, man, I wish it was the 80s when it was easier to be a pastor. And she just quietly turned to me and looked at me and she said, for you. Easier for people like you not easier for people like me. And in that moment, I had a choice. I could power up, I could laugh it off, but I believe that the Spirit told me in that moment and empowered me to, because this is not my natural strength, empowered me to simply humbly listen. And frankly, friends, in that moment, my working assumption until that point, that average pastor or normal pastor meant someone who looked like me. And when we talked about evangelical church, in my working paradigm, I had envisioned a white group of people. And it was because of Linda gently bringing truth into my life in a kind but pointed way. It was because of that that my whole paradigm has changed in radical ways. And I have found much more joy. And I have seen the image of God much more vividly because of it. Humility calls us to give up our rights, to give up our preferences, to give up our privileges for the sake of the other, just as Jesus showed us to do. I wanted to just take a moment too and say, for those of you that are minority culture who call Desert Springs your church home, I know that you've had many experiences like what Linda experienced. Even as I was telling that story, I know that for many of you, you might be thinking about conversations that people in your church family have had where you're, you're hearing something that assumes that white is right or white is normative. I wanted to say that as your pastor, I see that, I hear that, I, I know that. And I also know this, that you bear an exponentially greater weight than I do to be a part 
of this church family. And I'm so thankful that you would honor us in this. Friends, I know it's difficult. Family, I know it's painful. But I want you to know that you're seen and you're heard. And you are a critical part of our church family. And so thank you for your sacrifice and your long-suffering and your grace. Desert Springs, I'm proud of you for the work that you've done over these many years, leaning into this. And I'm going to ask you right now to join me as we move forward in what I believe is not a new direction, but a new way. I I want to ask you to join me in following the way of the reconciled. As I've been praying over this last uh, week, week and a half with our elders, and some of our leaders. I believe, and many of us believe, that the Spirit of God is moving us in this direction. There are many things that we could do, many paths that we could choose, but we believe that the Spirit of God is calling us in this particular moment, for this next season, to listen. One of the keys to reconciliation is truly listening. And so, Here's what's going to happen over this next few weeks as we continue through this series called The Way of the Reconciled. We are going to be hearing from friends of mine who minister here in the valley who will lead us and teach us and exhort us from the word of God and also will share their experience as a person of color. And what I'm asking you to do is to make a commitment to joining us on this journey for these next few weeks. I don't know exactly what it's going to look like, but God does. And I know that he has something powerful in store for us as a church. I've been wrestling with whether or not to share this with you, so I'm just going to do it. I believe that I heard the Spirit of God say, what Desert Springs right now, needs right now, is not another white male in power telling them that racism is bad. We've been doing that for years. What we need to do and what I need to do is I need to listen as I believe that we need to listen. And so here's the, here's the deal. I'm gonna join you in this. While I, I will likely participate in some of our services in the coming weeks, I will not be preaching because I need to listen. I believe that we need to listen together as a church family. And so I'd ask that you would join me. The second thing is this, is I'm gonna be participating and would invite you in to participate with me in a study by Jamar Tisby called The Color of Compromise. And we have many opportunities to do this in some in-person gatherings and also some uh, uh, via Zoom gatherings online. And this study is available to us either in books, so if you love reading or prefer reading, we have some groups that do that. And then for others, it'll be a video study where you watch the video and then dialogue after. And if you're interested in joining us for this study, we want to hear from you. You can check out this website here for links to an interest form to let us know your availability and also how you would like to participate in this study. I want to caution you, though. This will not be an easy journey. The way of the reconciled is never easy. 
but I believe that Jesus has something transformative and powerful in this time together. I believe that he has so much in store for us as a church family, and I would just invite you in to join me in this study of the book, The Color of Compromise. As we follow the way of the reconciled, we follow a path that was paved by the king and creator of the universe, Jesus Christ, who holds the universe together by the word of his power, the one who has conquered over Satan's sin and death in his mighty resurrection, the one who calls us to turn from ourselves and to turn to him. He calls us to follow the way of the reconciled. And he doesn't leave us alone. In fact, he promises to never leave us or forsake us. And he promises us that his spirit indwells within us. And as we follow his way, we will find the strength moment by moment to be obedient to him. Friends, we have a long road ahead of us. But I know that as we pursue the way of the reconciled, that Jesus will empower us and strengthen us. And I invite you to join me on this journey over these coming weeks. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we love you and we know that you love us. Jesus, you have reconciled us to God through your finished work on the cross and you call us to be ministers of reconciliation to one another. For those of us that are here in America in this moment, one of the key ways that we are gonna see that lived out is through racial reconciliation. And we know, Lord, that it will only come by your power and your spirit moving through us. And so right now in this moment, for everyone listening, Lord, for every Jesus follower that calls Desert Springs their church home, I pray that spirit of the living God, you would fall fresh on us, that we might be a people of conviction, of firm and deep faith, a people of humility and love that calls us to action and calls us to, in humility, listen, learn, repent, and reconcile. For we know, Jesus, that this is your way. Lord, we lift up our church family to you. We cannot do this by any other power force other than by your spirit. Strengthen us this moment and for this season as we seek to move forward. Jesus, we do, we do this knowing that you love us, that you're powerful to bring this about. And Jesus, we want it to come about. Help us to be empowered moment by moment to be ministers of reconciliation as we strive to walk the path of the reconciled. Amen.